Chapter 22 The Nitrate Jungle Coop was up all night. Dawn came, and he could hear the chirp of morning birds outside, alerting the world that a new day had arrived. He finished his drawing, went over the equipment he had on hand, deciding he had everything he needed. Then he paused as a dark thought crossed his mind. What if they failed? He believed they could jump to another time, that he could create the combination of speed and power needed in that very same spot in which they had arrived. Then again, maybe he couldn't. Maybe nothing would happen. They might just stay here in 1946, age rapidly, growing more toes and maybe a third eye and a second mouth. In the final analysis, Coop knew that he had to try, because true scientists aren't afraid to try and fail. The weather forecast was on the radio. Coop hurried over and turned it up. In Los Angeles, a high-pressure zone is coming in from the west over the Pacific, with a 60% chance of heavy thunderstorms and rain that will come in around between 7 and 9 p.m and continue through Friday. Coop felt an electric thrill go through him. This was good. Thunderstorms meant the extra power they would need. He scurried around the lab, picking up everything he could to take with him. Wherever they ended up, the supplies might come in handy. Coop wouldn't miss his house and lab. He could always buy and build another. He just hoped they would go into the future, not back to a time that was pre-electricity, or even worse, pre-refrigerators. Coop hurried to his dodge. He wanted to head Evan off before he started his day. They needed to prep and say goodbye to everyone as inconspicuously as they could. He checked his watch. 6.21 a.m. Not too early to pay a quick house call on Evan. Coop frowned a little grimly. Nothing will be the same after today. He started the dodge and made his way through the surprisingly light early morning L.A. traffic. Evan woke bleary from the scotch he drank the night before. Jimmy was no longer on the couch across from him. The pillow and blanket had been neatly returned to the linen and closet. Evan sat up, stretched, and stood. His clothes from the night before stuck to him. He didn't smell very good, and his mouth tasted like bread gone bad. He noticed movement in the front window that looked out to the front lawn. He first thought it was Huckabee and looked quickly away. He took a breath and looked again, surprised that it was Coop. Evan checked his watch, then hurried to the front door opening it quietly. Coop was dressed in his usual dark suit, white shirt, tie, and black fedora. Evan, come outside. We need to have a discussion, Coop said quietly, pointing him toward the middle of the front lawn where they wouldn't be heard. Evan followed him, wary of what was about to be discussed. Tonight, Coop stated. We go tonight. Evan was taken aback. Tonight? So soon. Coop noticed his melancholy. 
I know you fallen hard for Dorothy. Who wouldn't? But we have to go soon, Evan. A massive thunderstorm is on its way, and who knows when another of this size might come. Southern California isn't known for its tropical climate. We're an arid desert that's been thoroughly irrigated. A thunderstorm like this is rare and exactly what we need. I need to talk with Frank, Evan decided, and say goodbye to Dorothy. Coop nodded in understanding. I'm going to get everything together, and then we'll be ready for tonight. Evan thought for a second. The rap party. He had to attend. He couldn't just leave. They said their goodbyes, and Evan hurried around back to the guest house, not giving Theodore Martin Huckabee a second thought. He grabbed what clothes he had, tossed them in a small bag Jimmy had left in the room, shaved, and went out to meet the last day he would be living in 1946. Unless, perhaps, the experiment didn't work. He realized he was hoping that maybe it wouldn't. He ambled toward his car, then glanced through the home's back window and noticed Jimmy in the kitchen, drinking coffee and watching the hummingbirds outside. He had to say something to his friend before he left, so he knocked on the back door. Jimmy motioned for him to enter. In the kitchen, Jimmy looked right as rain. You'd never think he drank almost an entire bottle of pinch the night before. You want some eggs and toast, Evan? Jimmy asked. Jimmy, I wish I could, but I gotta go in. There's some stuff I forgot to do yesterday, Evan stammered. Aw, sit down, eat something. Jimmy demanded with a wave. You drank almost as much as I did. All that scotch in your belly needs to get soaked up. Tell Frank I kept you late. Jimmy then went to work, beating the eggs. Evan could smell toast already in the toaster, burning. Jimmy went to the toaster and plunked out two slices of steaming bread. Nausea overcame Evan. The last thing he needed now was burnt toast in his already queasy stomach. The scotch last night was still in him, a ghastly blend of alcohol and stomach acid. Jimmy noticed Evan's discomfort. Want to sit down, Ev? he asked. You don't look so good. Evan took his advice. Here, have some toast. Jimmy gingerly buttered a piece for him and presented it. Evan grimaced at the charred bread slice. He couldn't imagine putting that in his mouth. Jimmy buttered the frying pan and poured in the eggs. That created a new smell that didn't help Evan's stomach either. But he was hungry. Alcohol was gross. It tore a hole in his stomach and reminded him again of why he didn't drink. Whatever levity Evan experienced the night before was replaced with a dark specter of self-loathing, doubt, and confusion. Jimmy put a plate of eggs in front of Evan, who tore into them with relish that surprised him, considering that the very smell of cooking made him nauseated a few seconds before. He was that hungry. Evan, I wasn't too crazy last night, was I? I can't remember much. Jimmy admitted as he ate. Are these okay? You like them? Evan nodded. Jimmy looked thoughtful 
eyes distant for a minute, then continued. You know, Alfred Hitchcock? He smiled. Strange bird. Hope to work with him someday. I heard he gets physically ill at the sight or smell of eggs. Imagine that. A big guy like that who refuses food. They say he's a genius. Evan smiled, knowing someday Jimmy would work with Alfred Hitchcock on what some would consider to be his finest film. I hope you do get to work with him. Well, I'm not Cary Grant, but anything can happen in this business. Evan finished, wolfing down his eggs but avoiding the toast. He stood, thanked Jimmy, and hurried out. As he got to the front door, he heard Jimmy yell out, You forgot your toast! Evan pretended he didn't hear that and piled into his Ford, cranked it up, and headed for RKO. Traffic was light that early in the morning, and Evan left the windows down, loving the cool Los Angeles air as it whistled through the car's interior. His Ford's engine threw off just enough heat to keep his feet and lap warm. He turned onto Melrose and made his way east toward the big studio he'd always wanted to be part of in 2021, a time that now seemed long ago. Evan turned into the lot, waved at the gate guard, and headed to Liberty Films, relieved to see Frank Capra's Lincoln already there. He went in and was equally relieved that the master sergeant-at-arms wasn't in yet. He could only handle the bare minimum of obstacles in his hungover state. Evan knocked on Frank's office door, and Frank grunted out, Who the hell is here this early? Evan entered. Frank looked startled. He held a newspaper open, and a lucky strike burned in the ashtray on his desk. West. You're a man always filled with surprises. What brings you by? Evan looked Frank directly in the eyes. Please tell me those sequences Strickler forced you to film are gone. Capra's face went hard. I wouldn't allow those awful scenes anywhere near my movie. Evan took a seat across from him and leaned forward tensely. It's been my experience. Anything on film can be found. Don't ask me how, but I know it can. Is there any way you can burn the negatives? Frank looked troubled. I can't do that, Evan. My name is on the movie, but it belongs to Liberty Films and RKO. That's contractually forbidden. I just can't, as much as I'd like to. Evan thought fast. Okay. Despite your contract, what if there was an accident? You know, an unfortunate event? Frank sat up and shook his head. You're talking like a gangster, West. I cannot in any way condone or allow you permission for anything like that to happen. He leaned forward, motioning for Evan to come closer. And now that we got that out of the way, do it, he whispered. Capra fumbled in his pocket for keys, snatching a small one off the ring. Negative vault is down the hall, past editorial, reels 7, 9, and 12. Evan nodded. Now get out of my office before I call the police. 
Frank said, then smiled. Evans stood and left the office. He made his way past editorial, then to the negative vault down the hall, gripping that exquisite key in his hand. He unlocked the door and entered a dreary, poorly lit room. The negative vault was as ugly and dingy as any janitorial closet at a middle school. Evan found it hard to reconcile the fact that such an area could be where Hollywood dreams were kept. The smell of nitrate films kept in a fireproof vault hit Evan's nostrils, a thick, acrid smell. Evan found it thrilling in a dangerous kind of way, knowing all that film could create an enormous explosion if a match were set to it. The vault was like a nuclear reactor. As long as the rod stayed in place, it was benign. Evan headed over to the It's a Wonderful Life row of film cans and found reels 7, 9, and 12. He took each down, then unlocked the clasp that sealed reel 7 and opened it. The can was empty. Fear crept into Evan's throat. No! He opened reel 9. Empty. Reel 12? The same. Strickler had gotten there before him. Evan had to admire the man's dexterity and cunning. Strickler was no film illiterate. He knew the process inside and out. The negative was the foundation of every movie. More than likely, Strickler had hired an outside editor to strike prints from the negative and cut them onto the master creating the monstrosity Connor Alcott would sell to the highest bidder over a rainy weekend in 2021. Panic set in. Evan couldn't do anything now to stop Strickler and the movie from being desecrated. He didn't have time to sleuth around the studio and turn over rocks. He had to say goodbye to Dorothy at the party and then somehow hook up with Coop and try to leave 1946 for destinations unknown. Evan thought about telling Frank, unsure if there would be anything the director could do. Still, Evan had to try. He headed to Frank's office and saw him at his desk, lighting another lucky and going over budget reports. Mr. Capra? Frank looked up, and Evan reluctantly told him, the negative is missing. That son of a... Frank shouted, his face going shades of red Evan had never seen on a human being before. Frank got up, shut his door, and pulled Evan close to discuss their next step. And while it was fun to plan a film heist with Frank Capra, Evan knew the clock was ticking on his time there. It was going to be a long day with a very uncertain outcome. Evan put in a quick call to Dorothy to tell her he was coming by for a visit. He left Liberty Films and turned right onto Coanga, heading over into the valley and toward Dorothy's house. The overwhelming sadness of what he was about to do choked him up. He felt as if a vice had seized his heart and was squeezing it flat. What could he tell her? Uh, Dorothy, I'm from 2021, and now I'm seeing a dead man from that time who killed a bunch of people, and, uh, well, I'm going crazy. 
and my friend has a sixth toe. He seems to be aging rapidly, and I gotta go back because I'm disrupting the time-space continuum. He seriously doubted that would go over well, and decided the best thing would be not to say anything at all. He spent the best few hours with her he could. Besides, he figured Coop could still be wrong. Perhaps they'd just speed toward that light pole, and hopefully not hit it this time, and still be in 1946. Evan pulled up in front of Dorothy's house and saw her waiting outside. She wore a smile as big as the sun as she hurried over to his car, her arms open wide. Ready for the big party tonight? She asked. Evan pulled her close and kissed her. She tasted like heaven and smelled even better. Ready as I can be. Say, I need to buy a suit. You want to come with me to buy one? A suit? She scowled. No way. You're going in a tuxedo, sir. Ah, I don't need anything that fancy, Evan said, and realized that he was sounding more and more like Jimmy Stewart every day. If you're taking me to the ball, Prince Evan, then you're going in a tuxedo, and there will be no further discussion of it, she said. I know just the place. While Evan and Dorothy walked to the iMagnon store at 6340 Hollywood Boulevard, Coop was busy with a mission of his own. He raced about his house, gathering everything he'd need for tonight's time jaunt. He hoped for another forward trip in time. Coop hated the idea of going back. Besides having to deal with rampant racism, there was no refrigeration, ice cubes, dry cleaners, quality pepsodent toothpaste, or mouthwash. Just itchy wool clothes, painful shoes, outdoor toilets, and no radio. No thank you to that, Coop thought fervently. As much as he cared for Nikola Tesla, the affection was never returned. He knew that even if he went back to Nikola and tried to convince him to go along with the powers that be, he'd never do it. Nikola, as brilliant as he was, was on a collision course with his own obstinacy and ego. He was destined to become a laughingstock, and there was nothing Coop could do about it. He gathered up his tools. Along with the newly reconfigured Evans Lifesaver electric plasma gun he'd hastily fabricated, he also packed up a generator, heavy wiring, and an energy container that he had filled with pure thermomagnetic electricity that he'd captured and kept activated. Coop loved the heat the device threw off. Perhaps with a little helpful lightning, it would be able to throw them into either the future or the past, come what may. The last thing he did was empty his cash vault. Coop didn't believe in banks. Having grown up in the 1890s, banks were about as reliable as a paper hat. He stuffed about 5,000 in his wallet and another 1,000 in both socks. They would not be traveling through time light. Back on Hollywood Boulevard, Evan had picked out his side d'Ivoire black tuxedo with a wing-tipped collar, along with a silk bow tie and cummerbund. He also picked out a nice pair of black formal floorshine shoes he would probably never wear again after that night. At the register, he was shocked when Dorothy insisted on paying. 
Evan noticed the shop clerks exchange a look. He knew they saw him as a sad excuse for a man, but what did he care? He'd never see these two goons again, although given the fact that he was now a time traveler, he wasn't so sure about that. Dorothy, you are wonderful to offer, but I insist I pay. Still, I have to say, you are magnificent. Evan opened his wallet. The tuxedo was packed in a nice white and blue iMagnon box, and they bounded out to Evan's car. He was more broken-hearted by the minute, knowing he wouldn't see Dorothy again until she was almost one hundred years old. Evan drove her back home and she kissed him a long time through the open car window and asked if he could pick her up at six by the latest. He assured her he'd be there, maybe earlier. I want to see you in that tuxedo, Ev. Tonight is going to be very special. Evan drove back to RKO with a lump in his throat. It felt awful. He already knew in his heart he'd never love anyone like Dorothy again. He was about to leave her, and what made it worse was the knowledge that he was going to break her heart as badly as the fallen soldier she was once married to. His heart ached. Should he tell Dorothy who he really was? Where he was from? How would that lessen the blow of him leaving her life forever? He pulled into the studio and rushed toward Liberty Films, noticing both Strickler's Bentley and Frank's Lincoln in the lot. Good. The gang's all here. Time to get to work. Evan loped into the building, noticing Vera Stone at her post. She gave Evan a quick nod and pointed to Frank's office, where he heard raised voices. They shared a look, and Vera made a gagging gesture when Strickler raised his rumbling voice. Evan smiled, went to the door, knocked. Come! Frank shouted, and Evan entered. Strickler looked at Evan with a blank expression, while Frank stood up and gestured for Evan to have a seat. West, Bill's gone on to his next job, and I need you to oversee the print strike for the 16 millimeters we're sealing in the time capsule. You up to do that? Frank asked, his face a mask of innocence. Yes, sir. I just need the interpositive and the final negative cut, Evan answered. Frank looked to Strickler. Studio have the IPIN? Frank asked, and Strickler quickly nodded. I just had the final cut printed. It's ready to go, Strickler assured. You mind if I have a look-see before we go to the ceremony tonight? Frank asked. Strickler was as cool as could be. I already have the projector laced up in four. Frank and Evan shared a quick look, silently agreeing that the man had to have another print stored somewhere. Then let's go into four. Evan, do me a favor and lock all our negatives in the vault. Frank pushed Evan the same key across the desk. Strickler watched with hungry eyes as Evan picked it up. You put the negative back in the vault, right? Frank asked Strickler, who squinted. Then he straightened up slowly. Evan realized in that moment that Strickler knew they were onto him. 
It's still in the lab. I'll make sure they put it away, Strickler said carefully. You coming to the party tonight? Frank asked, and Strickler nodded, stood, and swept his hat off the desk. Wouldn't miss it for the world, Strickler answered. Did his best to give Evan one of his withering blue-eyed stares, and had reached the door when Frank said, Strickler, let's you and me take a look at that print. Strickler glanced back. Thanks, Frank, but I've seen the movie. Let's see it again, Frank insisted. You and me, let's share our triumph of a film. Strickler glanced from Frank to Evan. The director addressed Evan. West, head on down to the lab and put all the negatives away. Lab's over in the Hughes building. Second floor, just follow your nose. You won't miss it. Frank laughed. See you tonight at stage four. Then we're going a caravan over to Grauman's for the time capsule ceremony. It's going to be a doozy of a party. Evan headed out of the office, with Strickler watching him all the while. Evan looked at Vera Stone, who motioned to him with her head. I already authorized the transfer. They know your name. She informed Evan in passing, as he headed out the door and into the blazing sunshine of L.A., on his way to the Hughes building 400 yards away. Bicycle riders passed as he navigated the studio sound stages. Then he saw it. Hughes building. He walked in, and Frank was right. He could smell the heavy chemical odor of a film processing laboratory from yards away. He bolted up the stairs to the second floor, walked into the lab, and was greeted by a sleepy-eyed negative cutter named Potsy. I'm Evan West. Came to pick up the negative for It's a Wonderful Life? Evan informed the man. But Potsy didn't look like he was going to accommodate him. I gotta have second authorization from Mr. Strickler, Potsy said, seeming pleased at the opportunity to exercise some authority over another human being. Frank Capra is asking for this, and if I were you, I'd accommodate him. Strickler is with him now. He was in the room when Frank asked me to pick this up, Evan explained. Potsy shook his tiny head. No, sir. I need to hear from Mr. Strickler or no dice, friend. Evan found his deepest, craziest indignation gene and brought it to the surface. Are you going to get in Frank Capra's way? I'm not going to go around, Mr. Strickler. If I did, it'd be my job. And it'll be my job if I don't bring this back, Evan countered. Potsy was unmoved. Sorry, Bob, but I can't let you in here without permission. I was hoping I wouldn't have to do this. But if I go back to Mr. Capra, who is in a screening with Mr. Strickler, and bring them both back here, it will not go well for you. Potsy's face registered fear. You don't want to see an angry Sicilian, Evan added, piling it on even thicker. Believe me, I have seen it and never want to again. Potsy seemed to think about it, but just shook his head a moment later. No can do, buddy. Evan held out his hands in supplication. 
Well, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to get Frank Capra. Patsy's jaw clenched, his eyelids fluttered. Evan ambled away down the hall, whistling without a care in the world. He didn't make it very far before he heard Potsy's stammering voice behind him. Okay, 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 what the heck? It's on you, bub. Cans are stacked over there, 16-millimeter prints. One runs longer than the other. Evan's eyes widened. Runs longer? That's it? The longer print had to be the rotten, sour apple Strickler wanted to unleash on the world. Potsy watched Evan pick up the cans, then shook his head. Need you to sign this first, Potsy officiously said and handed Evan a sign-out form. When Strickler hears about this, it's your hide, not mine. Evan quickly signed, getting ink on his fingers from the leaky fountain pen, then hauled up the prints and headed out. On his way to the vault, Evan suddenly felt a lightning strike of dread. What if Strickler had already had a print struck from the negative? There was no way to know if he had. Evan couldn't worry about that now. He hurried back to the Liberty Films building, strolled in past Vera, and headed down the hall to the vault. With one hand, he unlocked the door and went in. He found reels 7, 9, and 12. All had film in the can now. Whatever trick Strickler had just pulled, Evan hoped that somehow he and Frank had just stopped him. He glanced to two 16-millimeter prints of It's a Wonderful Life, contained in the dark gray cans with their negative counterparts. Two were Strickler's versions. The others belonged to Frank. Evan looked closely at the label. One read, A. Strickler. RKO. The other just said, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. He grabbed them all, stacked them up to his chin, and locked the door behind him. Evan passed screening room four, then paused. He could hear Jimmy's voice behind the closed door. Just a minute, just a minute. Now hold on, Mr. Potter. You're right when you say my father was no businessman, I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny-ante building and loan, I'll never know. But neither you nor anyone else can say anything against his character because his whole life was... Why, in the 25 years since he and his brother, Uncle Billy, started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Evan looked at his watch. It was already 2.14 p.m. The day was flying by. Hoping Vera would turn a blind eye to his thievery, he passed her desk with the cans. She didn't bother to look up. He slipped into Frank's office, set down the two cans labeled Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life on Frank's desk, then hurried to his car, tossed the two 16-millimeter reels into his back seat, and headed to Jimmy's house. <laughs>